1: To the hockey PTO cast my name is dimitri filipovich and joining me is my good buddy joe on joe what's going on man
0: not much to things are
1: uh things are well here in
0: buffalo so it's uh it's good to talk to you again
1: yeah i feel like the tenor of our discussion is going to be uh vastly different from the last time i had you on the show i was going <laughs> back and trying to figure out when that was and it was april 2016 does that sound right i think it was like right after tim murray was let go
0: yeah, I, th- I remember that discussion being pretty dire, and yes. things were things were at a low
1: point. Little did we know it would get lower a year later. But but here we are. Yeah, crazy. Good, thi- good things happen yeah. to those who wait. No, it's um, listen. We wanted to wait to do the show. We were going to do last week, and then I kind of wanted to watch the Sabers a bit closer against the Predators and the Leafs this week. I feel like you know that was obviously a very tricky back to back, and it didn't necessarily. Um, you know, I think, I think they played pretty well. Obviously, they only got the one point out of the possible four there. But um, I kind of wanted to get a better gauge of what we were dealing with here and kind of prepare myself better for this discussion. And I feel like now I'm uh, I'm a bit more ready to go. Obviously, you covering the team full-time for The Athletic, um, you obviously have a, a pretty good pulse on, on, on how things are going there. So I'm excited to uh, unpack all this stuff with you and really do this uh, Sabres deep dive justice. Yeah, it's... Uh...
0: Being being this close to it, it's it's different because you know it, this is my sixth sixth season cover in the Sabres. Granted, this is on a this is a more in depth basis now, but um, you get it, you can't help but get caught up in how exciting things get when a team rattles off ten wins in a row, and you know it's it's hard to not be like, wow, hey, maybe the season's really going to be different, and you know you have to try to keep the the steady view on it and i think with a lot of the stuff that that we kind of zero in on at, at the athletic to try to look at things helps that out because you can kind of take a more balanced look at it as opposed to just looking raw wins losses and saying hey good for the team or oh boy things are really bad you know you can things can things can be you could have wins and things not go well or you could lose games and still do do fine and that seems to be what the story is with these guys
1: yeah well i think that's is it the most sort of i don't know what the right word is i guess if you're not a fan of the uh, of the sabers or you, you probably don't think it's the best story but i'm just thinking like in terms of from a team perspective i mean if you look at the playoff picture right now it's obviously still early but There's not that many surprising stories out there. The Islanders being in a playoff spot after losing John Tavares this summer and sort of the offseason moves they had is is surprising, but they've been um, pretty boring to watch and I don't think anyone thinks that's going to continue. So, you know, it looked like the Hurricanes are going to kind of be that team that goes and takes the leap and all of a sudden has this young, exciting core and everyone's talking about them and there's sort of the the Cinderella story, Um, but obviously they've kind of fallen back down to earth a little bit after a hot start. So this Sabres team really does feel like Like, uh, you know, whenever they're playing on a nightly basis, and obviously that 10-game winning streak goes a long way towards this, but especially with the dramatics that were involved in some of those victories, it feels like they really captured the attention of the hockey world outside of just Buffalo.
0: Yeah, it was the way they were winning games and I guess the way they're losing games now because it's, it's four straight without a win, but all those losses were one goal games. And it seemed like all the wins were one goal games too. And uh, I, I was describing it to people that it was a little bit NBA style in how they're doing. It. Not necessarily uh, from the entertainment standpoint. Granted, the games were exciting, but in the fact that you could you could almost not watch the first maybe 50 minutes of the game tune in for the final 10 and get a really good idea for how the game was going to play out because the games were just that close. I mean, it, a couple of those games were, uh, you know, the Pittsburgh win was a, was a rally back from down 4 one. And, you know, but, but it's basically everything else was either, either they got up by two and held on or they would be down by two and they would rally back and win in overtime or win in a shootout. And, you know, those, those games are exciting. It's, it's not like the old, dead puck era where you know you know every game was two to one but you were wishing you were doing something else these these games have been you know for you know for better or for worse they've been exciting for for different reasons and you know that you know it goes a long way to saying for how bad things have been in buffalo the last two seasons because you know i think there's a lot of things you could pick apart about how they're winning and how they're losing but it's so much better than the way it's been that everybody doesn't want to hear about any of that
1: yeah no for sure and obviously you know listen uh especially whenever something goes uh you know differently than we expected in the preseason or uh kind of flies a bit counterintuitive to what we're expecting all of a sudden uh you're sort of either waiting for the other shoe to drop or you're skeptical especially at the start of the year and you're citing small sample size and stuff but now i think that we're over two full months into the year and i I believe by the end of this week every team will have played at least 28 games which means that we're over the one-third mark of the regular season schedule like we're getting to the point obviously um context is still important and you have to go on a kind of case-by-case basis and unpack the numbers and see what's sustainable and what's not but you know if a team is hanging around for this long um chances are they're doing something at least that is for real and it's not just entirely a mirage unless it's like you know we've had those teams like the colorado avalanche a few years ago or the minnesota wild before that where it was like you know they were just riding this ridiculous pdo and everyone was expecting them to fall off and eventually they did for the most part though uh with the sabers team we're going to get into all that but at the very worst, they're more competitive than they've been in the past, and and that goes a long way to make you think that even if um, you know their current place in the standings isn't necessarily completely legit, they're not just going to completely fall back and revert to what they were in years past, which is very clearly a step in the right direction.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's a team that very clearly has uh, premier players that can that can make or break a game with you know if they if they show up and have a monster game they're probably going to win you know if you get jack eichel to pour in three points you get jeff skinner to score two three goals a game you know you get sam reinhardt to really blow up rasmus dalin continues to go in the direction that he's headed even you know we've seen rasmus ristelainen who's kind of taken it upon himself to try to win a couple of games here you get some high end guys like that. I know some of those are more controversial than others, but uh, you get guys like that, that can play to their absolute peak. They can swing a game. And I I think that's something Buffalo obviously hasn't really had too much of. I mean, you, you get an Eichel, you know, learning how to do it you get an Evander Kane in the past who, who could kind of do that for you and you know you didn't really have the goaltending guys to do it they certainly didn't have the defensive units to try to hold teams down but um, it, it seems like for all the there and I mean this is a team that has holes there are there are issues they're not super deep they're deeper than they've been the goaltending is a little bit better you know they, yep. they they show up in the in the better spots but it's 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 step-by-step and I mean this is a re-rebuild for this team really and you know they've they've they're they're getting better performances from their higher end players which is basically all they've ever asked for and that makes up for a lot of things and now they've got some guys that can kind of pick it up in the meantime granted you know the I think the last 10 games or so it's been a little bit quiet from those support guys but they're there I don't know it's it's a different feel because you know those high-end guys are doing great but everybody else is just kind of average and i i think in the nhl you just really just need people to be steady and you'll be okay yeah
1: and then obviously as you mentioned you need those game breakers to sometimes it just comes down to you know being able to make that last play and, and and take over a game and they've clearly had that this year more so than in the past and yeah, I mean, they're coming off a pretty tricky uh, part of the schedule here where I feel, I feel like they had a couple back to backs in a row. And, you know, they play the Sharks, the Lightning, the Leafs, and the Predators, which are like probably four of the best six or seven teams in the league. And then even the Panthers game was the second leg of a back to back there. So, I mean, the fact that they've lost a couple games here in a, in a row now doesn't necessarily uh, or shouldn't be too discouraging. And, you know, you look at the overall package this season, I mean,. The fact that they're, you know, 17-8-4, they have a net positive goal differential. I mean, they're sixth in the NHL in point percentage, they're third in the Atlantic. I think, you know, the Bruins have clearly had um, their fair share of injuries, and I think they're better than they've shown thus far. But the fact that we're two months into the season and the Sabres are ahead of the Bruins in Atlantic Division... um, you know, speaks to a lot of things, but I think even the most optimistic people wouldn't have probably expected that heading into the year. So, I mean, I, the reason why I cited that that record more than anything else is is just for context because I was looking at the year to year history and there were some Tim Murray tanking years there where they were in the low twenties at wins, and they're going to match mm-hmm. that uh, sometime here in December, which is just uh, remarkable for context purposes. Well, I, I, looking back on
0: what they've done in the past, they've had such horrible October's i mean it feels like every year every year since i've been here they've gotten out of the gate something awful joe joe <laughs> they,
1: let me stop you there they've had horrible octobers november's december's january's well, yes. february's marches <laughs> and then not april's because they've stopped playing at that point but yeah it's uh oh pretty yeah. much all the months have been bad
0: right but i i mean for for a team that that's got well i mean they they've kind of they built with matchsticks, I guess, for a few of those years. But, you know, where a team's got a lot of young guys, if you get that off get off to a bad start like that, those guys, I mean, young guys especially, are just going to take that to heart and just say, ah, oh, geez, you know, here we go. This stinks. You know, we're hitting a hole. We're already down. We're, you know, we're already sixth in the division, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth in the division, depending on how bad that start was. And you say, well, you know, this hole's already huge. I mean, I look back to last year where there was a lot of hope. Going into last season, you know, new coach, new GM, new players. I mean, they they replaced basically eleven starters last year, and then they changed nine of the you know changed nine more this year. And you know, you had that changeover last season. Everybody was all hyped up about you know it's going to be new. It's Phil Housley. You know, there was all the questions about Dan Bilesmouth, You know, the guys in the room didn't like him. You know, if they hated his coaching style, whatever the case was. But then they got off to such a bad start. And everybody said, oh, man, here we go again. And when that happened, especially when you didn't really have – injuries getting in the way early you know they had those excuses a couple years ago when when Eichel gets hurt at the beginning of the year then followed by Kane you know but they get Leonard hurt a couple years ago whereas you know his ankle just was in shards and you know it was always a convenient excuse and last year they didn't really have that to build on they were just like oh no we're just bad and the fans said oh no they're bad forget this team and you It seemed like everybody bailed on them. You you know, there was even some guys in the room that were just like, man, this stinks. I I can't get up for this again. And, you know, this year that didn't happen. I mean, it very well could have. You know, they had the first their first four games at home were Boston, you know, which, okay, impossibly tough. Then you get the Rangers. Okay, you got to beat the Rangers. Uh, Then you had Vegas and you had Colorado. And then they had to go out west for five games. And it's like, oh, no, they could be they could be toast after nine games of the season and they came out of it ahead and it changed in LA when they put uh, Skinner, Eichel, Eichel and pominville together. And then that's when the run started and it was like, Oh, okay, well, cool. They figured some stuff out here. That's, that's awesome. And, you know, I, it, it, it says a lot that they've set like these kind of goals for themselves to say, all right, let's, let's get this done. And let's not let things get us down. And I, I know it's a lot of, you know, psychological speak for these guys. But I think there's a big part of it where these guys have a chip on their shoulder to say, you know, we're not doing that again. You know, Phil Housley after the Bruins game you know the opening night; it was four to nothing, and they got you know they got the pants beat off him And you know Phil was Phil was honestly ticked off. He said, "We're not going through this again. We we're just not doing it." He was the most angry dad, you know Phil Housley version I've ever seen. And it was just like, oh, okay, this is a little different. And you know that kind of stuff it goes a long way, and it, it seems to have gotten through to these guys that they that they've taken care of it in the room.
1: Yeah, I think there certainly is a psychological element to it from the perspective of we're not talking about a team that was mediocre and bad. And I think in that situation, sometimes that kind of stuff can be overblown. We're talking about teams that are like, catastrophically historically bad and i think yes. being part of that is very clearly both embarrassing and also uh, i'm sure it weighs on you and every every day you're coming to the rank you're like oh god not this again like what's gonna happen tonight and the fact that you're at least reaching a le- a, a modicum of respectability i'm sure it goes a long way towards uh, boosting the morale and all sorts of other things down the line um yeah i mean last year was just my goodness that team i remember there was some preseason hype and people were like oh they could be kind of feisty and then they came out of the gate and wound up finishing 31st in the league with 25 wins and and obviously they were awarded for it with the first overall pick and we're going to get into that as well but i think credit to their fans you're right i think there were certain points over the past couple of years where they would see the writing on the wall and they would check out on the team the thing about the buffalo fans though is they would never check out on the nhl and I give them an awful lot of credit credit for that. I mean, just such a, a vocal, boisterous, fun um, collective group of people. Like you'd always see those uh, when NBC would tweet out the the playoff metrics for audiences, and Buffalo would be atop the list. And it's like, just they just want to watch hockey that doesn't make them feel sad. And and I feel happy for them that at least they're getting a little bit of that this year.
0: Yeah, they're paying it off, too, because uh, the the Flyers, the flyers Sabers game that was on, that was the middle of the streak, was the highest, one of the highest rated games in, in Buffalo, I think, since NBC took over. It was like a 13, I think it was like a 13.8 rating. And, you know, the game with the Leafs, just the other, you know, last night, you know, we're recording this on, on, on Wednesday, but the, the Tuesday night game uh was a 12.7 rating and i'm just like wow what happened to those 1.1 percent of people that were (laughs) were they were they that put off by the street but then i thought about they were probably watching it somehow in tsn so you know it's it's something where everybody's paying attention and when this team's winning this whole city goes bonkers i mean they're The places that I'll go to, if I'm not on the road with the team, I'll go watch the game out someplace. And in the past, it's always been like I've been, you know, almost twisting somebody, you know, a bartender or or a waiter's arm to put the game on a TV. And now it's I walk into a place and it might be a Monday night where there's a football game or, you know, if there's a a big college football game on a Saturday. Those games are put on the small screens and, you know, those people have to go watch in the corner. Every other TV is going to be on the Sabres because the people are into it
1: yeah no for sure and they have they have reason to be i mean i'm kind of curious um what the vibe is and or sort of what the discourse is regarding um this kind of transition to a new era of sabers hockey because obviously you know this team's going to be linked to um the rebuild they went through and 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 the job tim murray did and obviously we just haven't really seen uh, a franchise like that especially in the nhl just so uh openly and unabashedly just strip strip the team down and tank for high draft picks i mean you know you have the process uh, philadelphia 76ers and they're sort of the only other uh current sports parallel but that's basketball and that's an entirely different story i'm kind of curious like when people are talking about this team in buffalo um what how is that era looked back upon and and because i know that like 76ers fans for example now um you know they make jokes about how you know sam hinkey died for this and and fell on the sword and 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 they also credit him for his vision now even though he can't kind of reap the rewards of it now because he's obviously no longer running the team he was the architect in place you know, securing guys like joel and beat and ben simmons whereas for this tim for this tim Murray situation obviously he wasn't around for the you know the season they wound up getting them rasmus Dalin, but a lot of these other guys were his draft picks or guys that were brought into the system under him um so is, is that era like viewed as negatively as you'd think or are people now kind of coming around on it or has it changed at all based on how this season's gone it's um
0: it's weird because i think that the, the the tank non-tank thing which that discussion which i'm sure i'm sure the, the 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 battles on twitter about it have have spilled over into more common more common grounds for people to to pay witness to because it's been a very big discussion point for for many in buffalo i've tried to stay out of it because i'm just like listen this you know the setup is the setup you got to you got to do what you got to do granted you know tim murray kind of went about it, <laughs> of it in a way that was just not really seen
1: since gosh maybe what the Mario Lemieux draft yeah going yeah, I mean, back that far i, I mean i so. mean i mean those even those penguins teams that uh wound up getting crosby and walkin like those teams were pretty uh, you know, shockingly bad, but it's, it's, it's always kind of tough to know, uh, how much of it was just you kind of stumbling into it unintentionally and just being genuinely bad and how much of it is a concerted effort. And it's very clear that, you know, Tim Murray's plan was, and he made no bones about it, was we're going to be bad on purpose because we think that this increases the likelihood of us getting star players. And, um, yeah, so I think that obviously clearly turned um, a certain segment of, of fans of both the Sabres and the NHL off because it kind of goes counterintuitive to this whole idea that you need to be going 110% every night and trying to win as many games and, and be scrappy and, and, and tough to play against.
0: Yeah, and it's it's something where, you know, I, the, the seeming other popular team that's that's been in Buffalo is the Chicago Blackhawks. And that's because of Patrick Kane being from South Buffalo. And a lot of people started watching them and they said, well, gee, Chicago kind of did the same thing. And it's like, well, kind of, but they were really bad for a long time just because they had bad ownership. And, yeah. you know, you, you you get a Jonathan Taves, you luck out and get a Patrick Kane in a draft. And, you know, you, you pull a couple of strong cards out by being able, you know, drafting Duncan Keith and those guys and things work out for themselves. In this case, it was. You know, the, the pull down started with Darcy Regier when, you know, he traded Jason Pominville which makes it weirder that he's you know, he's back now. But right. um, you know, he trades Palmanville and he starts pulling the whole thing apart during the lockout season and you know, the next season they were they were bad. You know, Regier gets fired after Ruff was fired the year before and you know, they they bring in Ron Ralston and then Ron Ralston was not a good coach and he gets fired. They bring back Ted Nolan and it was just very obvious they weren't going to be a good team, no matter what. I mean it was just the way they were assembled. And you know, they, they hire Murray that January and then you know, they go ahead and they make a, they make a bunch of trade you know, they trade Ryan Miller and Steve Ott. And, you know, they bring in you know, they bring in all these, these other guys, they make the Evander Kane trade. They do all these other moves where it's just like, wow, they're, they really stripped this thing down over the course of two years and got rid of anybody who is even noticeably a, a, a saber at any point in their career. And, you know, it, it was something where it just took so long to just strip it all away and, and turn it into something that, it, I mean, obviously the culmination was the, was the McDavid Eichel season where they were gunning for McDavid and yeah, you get Jack Eichel. That's fantastic but yeah um but i think that left a a real sore taste in some people's mouths because they said they said this is you know because you know buffalo people don't want to do it the wrong way but then again buffalo fans watch the bills you know (laughs) rally (laughs) they would rally their way into you know winning the last four games of a season every season and never have like a top five draft pick and they just mire in mediocrity and in this case the you know the system as much as you could rig the system for yourself and it was much easier to do that season, as long as you finished last year, you're going to pick one or two and, you know, it worked out, worked out the right way. I mean, it might seem icky in the end, but I mean, you see what's happened with Dylan Strom and Arizona and, you know, that, I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean that's, that's, you know, Dylan Strom's fault. Arizona could have picked Mitch Marner that year and maybe, maybe history goes down a little bit differently, but, um, you know last season wasn't a season where they were trying to lose they were trying very hard to <laughs> pull it out of the toilet and every effort they made to do that failed and it i guess you know it it plays into so much superstition and karma and all that stuff where you're saying no you're trying to win of course you win the lottery that year it's like well no they were just they were really that bad last year they were just just you know un, unmistakably terrible and not fun and just sore to be around like It's amazing to be around a team – like, the the teams that were built to lose, you you felt for everybody on those teams because everybody knew what was going on. Last year, it was just like, wow, I feel bad for them, but I didn't want to be around them. Like, everybody just kind of makes you feel – like oh my god nothing's ever gonna get right here and that's a really tough spot for everybody to be in and you can see why it's a chip on the shoulder for the players this year because you get a taste of that and
1: you don't want that again especially for guys that have been there for a few years for sure and i think i mean obviously you need to really um be fully committed to it and and realize the reality that You know, if you do strip it down and try to go for those high draft picks, like it's going to be a lot of losing and a lot of misery, but you hope that the light at the end of the tunnel makes it worth it. And I think if anything, I don't think what did Tim Murray in was the plan, or I think it was the execution, right? I mean, if you look at some of it was obviously just unfortunate luck with the lottery balls, and if they wind up with McDavid and Ekblad in those two years back-to-back, I wonder how differently things are and if he's still there. But even some of the other picks, I mean... I think the plan, the plan, and and the theory behind it was sound. But I was going through the list of, uh, and this some of his dates back to even before Tim Murray took over. But like over the past decade, the first round picks the Buffalo Sabres have made, and I mean it's it's quite the list of guys that mm-hmm. you know either never really made an impact on the team, or were never really even made it in, in the NHL as a whole. I mean, as you go on down the line, especially the years where they had you know, those two picks and they take Rasmus Saladin and Nikita Zadorov, and I'm assuming they think that those are going to be their number one and number two defensemen for a decade to come, or or when they had the two picks and they take Mikael Gregorenko and Zemgus Girgensons, and, you know, at least they used two of those guys to get Ryan O'Reilly and eventually traded him for other assets. But when you're loading up on all those picks, that's great in theory, but you actually have to execute by nailing at least some, at least most of them. And that's, I think, where they failed ultimately. And and if you want to look back at that era and point to a reason why it didn't wind up working out, it's that more so than the idea that you can't tank and, and win in today's NHL. Because, you know, I hate to break it to people, but you look at the Leafs right now, and how do you think they got Austin Matthews and William Nylander and Mitch Barner? It wasn't by being incredibly good for a lot of years. <laughs> right. And, you know, the,
0: it's... It's missing on first round draft picks, but it's also not getting anything from uh, anybody else in any of those other rounds, and I, I, you know that that helps that you know it helps to get those guys to nail your first round picks because you know they're going to be NHL players. But if you can't get productive AHL players or you know depth NHL players from your second or third or fourth round picks that just it hurts you so bad in the long run i mean everybody would point to edmonton or montreal and say wow these guys never got anything out of the draft and people in buffalo are just kind of like yeah yeah those guys yeah boy they <laughs> boy they can't draft for anything woohoo don't look at our record though it's yeah. fine and you, you go back and look at it and you're like they didn't hit on a- they didn't really hit on anybody and you know, from a developmental standpoint, you can you can be critical of how they've ha- you know how they handled Grigorenko, and they 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 butchered how how they developed him pretty badly. And even for some of these other guys that got kind of pushed up quickly, I mean, you, you could argue that you know they're almost going too slow with Alex Nylander, hmm. But I, I I would trust that they they know more of what they're doing in that case. But right. um, but I mean, it, it, if you don't do it the right way. And I think that's where Jason Bottrell's really gotten things correct is that he's, you know, the, you get your NHL roster to a point where you, you don't have to rely on calling these guys up when they're not ready all the time. And then you get to figure out if they're actual players and if they're actual players, they'll get their turn. But if they're not, well, they can hang out in the AHL and they can be competitive there. And if they become a player further down the road, that's even better. But, the, the, you know, Buffalo just got into a bad cycle where everybody that they were saying, like, OK, we got a prospect. We got a kid. All right. Is he ready yet? Well, no. But can he play in the NHL? Well, you can. OK, whatever. Put him in there. <laughs> and that was that's a bad routine to get into. And it seemed like that's what happened here for a while. And you know when that's happening it's your team's just going to founder and they did it's it's pretty obvious they did but you know you look at Rochester now and you know the team's playing very well and you look at the guys that are doing well it's like oh well here's a guy they drafted 2 years ago here's a guy they drafted 3 years ago 4 years ago in some cases and you're like okay all right well yeah these guys are going to get their chance eventually or maybe that's just where they belong
1: yeah I, I want the record to show that you served up a softball there for me to make a joke about <laughs> Alex Nylander and going too slow, but I chose to take the high road and not make an easy joke like that. So uh, anyways, uh, Joe, let's, uh, let's take a quick break here to hear from a sponsor, and we're going to uh, dive into some other Sabre stuff on the other things. Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of websites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust out there. That's why SeatGeek is so clutch, because they take all the guesswork out of the equation for you. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place, you can easily find the seats you're looking for, for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek's going to get you closer to their action for a great value. Not only does SeatGeek identify the best seats that fit your budget with their grading system, but every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop with supreme confidence knowing that what you're paying for is exactly what you're going to get. That's why you need to make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything, from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. This time of year, some tickets would make for a great gift for that special someone in your life. Even if that special someone is yourself and you just want an excuse to get out of the house and go watch your favorite team play. Um, I love when my listeners send me pictures of themselves going to these games and um, thanking me for the promo code and and it warms the heart seeing that uh, you guys are taking advantage of it and the great deal that it's providing and having a good night out. Uh, recently, I had a listener, Adam DiStefano, um, actually go to a Raptors uh, Sixers game, so not even a hockey game, which kind of shows the versatility of SeatGeek and the tickets they provide. So um, that could be you as well. And, and the best part is that as my listener, you're going to get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do to claim that is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO. That's promo code PDO for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now let's get back to the show. Okay, so when I was preparing for this show and I was looking at uh, some of the underlying numbers and trying to make sense of this team and, and kind of get a better grasp of how legit they are and, and sort of where they're headed in the weeks and months to come, um, you know, clearly I think they've overperformed a little bit. Um, but When you look at sort of the formula that they have in place and and what works for them, it's very uh, reminiscent of me to sort of what Colorado has working for. Like I feel like kind of their avalanche east a little bit just from the perspective of like you mentioned that goaltending early on. And we'll see how Carter Hutton holds up in a season where he's probably going to nearly at least double his uh, previous career high for appearances in a season, especially at the age of 33. It's kind of not necessarily unprecedented because that position is is weirder than most other ones you'll see out there, but it's not something you see every day. So we'll see how him and Linus Allmark hold up. up. But I mean, you know, so far, so far, they're they're at 5-on-5 and and all situations save percentage. And if that continues, that's going to keep the Sabres in a lot of games. And they have the top line dominance. I mean, if you look at Skinner and Eichel, and regardless of who's played with them, whether it's been Reinhardt or Promenville or whoever else, um, with those two guys out there, the Sabres are outscoring teams 25 11 at 5 on 5, and they're dominating the shot metrics and high danger chances. And and you go on down the line, and, and so you basically have the goaltending, you have the top line and then you kind of hope to grind it out with the rest and at least kind of stay afloat so you just give your top guys a chance to win the games for you and so far they've managed to do that and i think what was a very interesting game to me was that game the other night against nashville where like i don't think the sabers team is necessarily uh slow in terms of foot speed or how it can play but i feel like i don't know you can maybe speak to this better than i can whether it's actually by design by phil housley and his coaching staff but it feels like they sort of realize that they can't maybe get into too many track beats just because they don't have the talent down the lineup to keep up with some of these teams. So whenever that top line is not out there, they're really kind of trying to uh, grind it out and slow it down and limit the events. And, and you know, I mean, they're 29th in, in terms of pace played at five one five uh for all teams in the league. And, and that kind of is a bit counterintuitive to some of these young guys they have on the team. But I think it speaks to them realizing that that's probably the way they're going to be most effective in the long haul.
0: Well, they, they've got a lot of guys who are – the, and the thing Phil Housley likes to point out is is their, uh, is their, is their checking, uh, the team checking, like the checking assignments and how they're able to, to match up and make sure that they've got their guys covered. And, you know, you have certain guys that can, that can play faster and apply pressure better all over the ice. You know, I think of Connor Sherry. Where he's a guy that's you know he can use his speed effectively that way, and then you get him in the offensive zone, and he can you know he's a good guy that crashes the net, and he can use his speed to get around. And you know Jeff Skinner is very elusive, and he plays a little bit nasty, like very quiet nasty, yeah. uh, but but he drive but he charges the net constantly, and he's always around. And you get you get those kinds of guys, and you know you have your Eichel who can you know just just about do anything offensively and and Reinhardt who's got such eyes on the ice where he could just make such incredible passes and you know you have other guys that are just really I mean they're really role players when you look at it I mean Vlad Saboka. I mean he's he's by no means a, a guy who's an analytics darling by by any stretch but he's he's done his job you know he's he's lived up to his assignments and i think evan rodriguez is a is a more friendly version of that where you know he's just he gives you all effort and jason palmerville when you know when he's on a roll he's scoring and he's doing he's doing well on those parts and you know guys like larson and berglund and Gergensen's and and those guys they can just jump in and just try to grind things down and try to limit the shots but they can also get their shots if they get on a roll which is weird because like none of of these parts sound like they make any sense together (laughs) and yet it goes out there and if they stay even then they're fine but if one of those lines starts to get rolled it's pretty obvious and that, you know, that seems to change game by game and depending on what the matchups are. I mean, uh, against Toronto, it was, you know, Casey Middlestad had a very rough game. But I mean, overall, he's been mostly OK. But there are certain combos that just haven't really looked like they've worked out very well at all. And, you know, I think that goes into figuring out and it's certainly it seems to center around the younger guys. Because you don't quite know what you've got with them yet. And, you know, Middle Stats one and Tage Thompson's another. And, you know, those are guys where they're a little bit more merc- mercurial in, in their performance. But I think that's to be expected. They're kids.
1: Yeah. No, for sure. Um, I- 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 Eichel's interesting to me because obviously he's, you know, an incredible player to watch. He's one of my favorites in the league. And I noticed that. You know people were kind of questioning his game early on just because he wasn't scoring the amount of individual goals we'd kind of expect from a a player of his caliber but i mean you look at most of the underlying stuff and and you know the fact that he's on pace he's shooting more than ever he's on pace for like 350 shots on goal or something this season if he stays healthy for the full 82 he's still on pace for 96 points even though the fact even though he's only been shooting 5.7 percent and he's never been a guy who has been a patrick line type where he's gonna just you know shoot the lights out but He's been hovering around like a ten percent league average guy throughout his career so far so I mean we expect that to to rise and when it does um like I'm very curious to see what happens to his point total and how people start talking about him just because it, the ceiling there is is quite clearly elevated and I wonder how he feels personally about the fact that now he finally has a bit of support and a legitimate running mate in Jeff Skinner it's the, the lack of support that he had offensively the past couple of years was just uh you know stunning i mean you generally for top players i like to look at secondary assists to kind of snuff out if a guy is just stat padding based on that with eichel he's basically had like five or six secondary assists only in every season so far in his career and he's already got five this year and you know you could kind of view that as a negative and say that He hasn't been generating all of the offense by himself, and he's kind of been a bit fortunate to have the point total he has. But I look at it from the other perspective where it's like, wow, the Sabres are finally scoring some goals where he's not either putting the puck into the net or directly setting up someone else himself. And that's clearly uh, a formula for more success from a team-wide perspective now that they actually have guys who can carry the load a little bit and not just give him the puck and get out of the way. I would be curious to see how many
0: of those second assists have been on a pass that led to a shot where the rebound is something where Skinner scored on or, or Reinhardt scored on because it seems like that's, that's where his second assists come from. And I mean, this, I could be just making it all up in my head thinking of how his plays have developed, but it seems like that's where the, like that, those types of second assists for him come from because when, you know, when whoever he's been with, it's just, when his line is out there, they're going to create a chance. There's going to be an opportunity, and it just seems like every time Skinner scores a goal, it's within ten feet of the net. Or you know, it's, it's the same for Reinhardt, where you know if he's if he's deflecting a a shot past, or if he's picking up a rebound, and you know it. You know, Eichel's shooting a ton, and people have kind of gotten on him until you know the toronto game where he scored twice but um people have gotten on him for not scoring as many goals and so you know some might some have even criticized to say he's like well he's getting his assists, so he doesn't care about goals and i'm like no it's not the case he likes to score goals he's very good yes. at scoring goals and he likes to shoot and he is shooting a ton but uh, i think a lot of his shots have come on situations where he knows he's got skinner or eichel or uh, skinner or reinhardt coming on the other side and he's firing it far pad and waiting for a kick out and getting the, it's easier to do that than it is to try to, you know, sauce one across between two defenders to get it to the other side and, and try to get a one timer. It's, it, it's going against the norms. And it's something where if I can dig, you know, if I dig through all the video to see how his points are coming from, I, it would be very interesting to see how that works. But, um, but I mean he's been tremendous and the criticisms of him I'm just I just kind of throw my hands up and say I don't know what else you want from a guy. I mean yeah you want more goals but my god he's you know he was you know over 20 assists I think at this point and it's like wow it, he's doing everything he can to try to help the team out and you could see it on his face sometimes when you ask him you know he's like oh you're not really scoring goals and he's just like you know, he takes a deep breath and he doesn't roll his eyes anymore the way he used to, but yeah. you can tell on his face, he's just so annoyed that he's like, he's like, what do you want me to do? Like, I can't tell the goalie to let it in. I can you know, there's only so much.
1: Yeah. He's amongst the select few. I guess it would be like him, McDavid McKinnon and hall in terms of like the best four or five guys in the league and just picking the puck up somewhere in their own zone and single handedly tilting the ice and, and creating a, you know, controlled zone entry and either generating a goal or or some sort of stone sustained uh, zone pressure for their team just single-handedly like that and there's very few guys who are capable of pulling that off on a consistent basis and and he's one of them yeah i i just pulled up while you were talking the secondary assists so by season since his rookie year he had five and eighty-one games, seven and sixty-one, six and sixty-seven, and this year he has five and twenty-nine games already. And so, yeah, that's uh, it looks like he's going to finally blow that out of the water. And it's remarkable mm-hmm. that he had so few throughout his career. But it makes sense just because if you'd watch those teams, it really would feel like if he wasn't doing it himself, there's just, no one else was out there that would be able to, jet, to to capitalize on the situations he was creating. It's, I mean, it's it's something else for him to have a guy like Skinner who
0: who gets to a different part of the ice to help score points because you think of Evander and the way he scores a lot of his goals. I mean, he did score a lot of them in close, but a lot of those were his own generated efforts where, you know, he's picking up his own rebound or, you know, he's picking up the rebound from somebody else. And, um, you know, with Skinner, it's it's different because he's just, you know, he doesn't he doesn't exactly carry in a ton at least it doesn't seem to be to me he's the guy picking it up in the zone and either you know dangling somebody getting to the net or he's just picking up a rebound and you know doing the the dirty area scoring and and for Eichel to have somebody that goes there all the time is such a drastic change I, I to me that's why it's working out and you know for people to get mad at again it just goes back just people get mad at jack for 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 not scoring goals it just makes me it just makes me shake my head i
1: i, I, well, I could talk about it for the rest of this show but i'm not yeah. i'm not going to i mean it's obviously part of it is unrealistic unrealistic expectations and part of it is just seemingly like a lack of understanding of how percentages work sometimes like it's 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 mind-boggling to me how and i do you know listen you're right about kind of where he's taking the shots and what he's trying to accomplish with them and and it explains the higher shot totals and the lower percentage but i mean at the end of the day whenever a guy who's a 10 percent career shooter is shooting around five percent for like 20 something games they're generally not going to score very many goals and they're going to look a lot worse than they are and and we already saw him with the multi-goal effort against toronto and i wouldn't be shocked at all if he goes on a goal scoring tear here where he has something like eight goals in five games or something like that and all of a sudden the full package for the season looks a lot closer to what we'd expect from him and and it'll seem like this entire discussion about him not scoring enough goals was from a a completely different year because uh he'll just blow it out of the water
0: yeah and i've been trying to be calm and telling people like listen you know i know he's shooting he's shooting five or six percent i like to throw that out there just because you know that will make people look and say well what does he normally shoot and then they see ten percent they go oh well, that's gonna change soon then. And it's it's been the same way for Sam Reinhart, who was shooting five or six percent, and they go, Oh, geez, that seems kinda low. And you look at his you look at his past and you say, Oh yeah, it is low. Well, gee, what's gonna happen when it when it gets back to what he's normally done? Oh right, he's gonna score four, a goal in four <laughs> straight games. And yep. you know, things things catch up to themselves. It's you know, sometimes the math is simple. It's just a matter of paying attention to it.
1: Yeah. Man, I was uh I mean, I don't want to be as creepy as Pierre Maguire was being on last night's broadcast about Rasmus Dalian and the fact that he's only 18 years old, but it is is it's genuinely jaw dropping what he's capable of doing out there. And sort of, I think more so than the actual plays themselves, it's how he goes about it at this stage of his career just because. He really does seem like this kind of poised, polished veteran in terms of uh, the calm nature where he approaches some of this stuff, and regardless of whether four checkers on him or if he's in a dangerous space where most guys would, you know, all of a sudden frantically do something stupid just because they're worried about turning it over and it would actually, ironically enough, lead to a turnover. For him, it's... It seems like it doesn't bother him at all. He's just kind of impervious to it where he just does skates a little lap or makes a little quick move and gets it out of his zone and and does stuff with purpose. And he's not just trying to get the puck off of the glass and out. He's actually trying to get it to a teammate or at least move it into a space where someone can do something productive with it. And that's what I've been kind of most impressed with. And, you know, we've seen his ice time ramp up as the season's gone along here. And it makes sense that even though he did come in with all this hype and this pedigree that they would, you know, start to kind of spoon feed him a little bit and wouldn't instantly make him a 25 minute per game top pairing guy. And, you know, I think he'll get there eventually this season. Uh, It's maybe happening a bit slower than most people would like. And and that can be frustrating at times, but there's clearly a plan there in place. And I think that, you know, it's only a matter of time before he has that workload that he should be having. And I think he's going to thrive in it. I mean, just the fact that what he's been doing lately, and doing so with next to Zach Bogosian and sort of revitalizing his career there. Who, I mean, I just think the world of him. And, you know, defensemen typically don't get too much love in these individual awards, and it's going to be hard for him to sneak into that race with what Elias Pettersson and Brady Kachuk are doing offensively. But just in terms of impact on their team and how productive they've been, I think he's right up there with those guys.
0: It's It's pretty stunning to watch how quickly... He's moving along because, you know, the the thing we all talked about and um, what even he talked about bef- you know before the season started was, you know, what the adjustment from going from 200 by 100 ice surface and the speed of the NHL game, you know, what how long that adjustment period was going to take for him. And I was maybe biting off more than I could chew when I was guessing. I said, give him about 10 to 12 games and see where he's at from there and see how things change and you know uh, it just I think it's 10 of the last 11 games 10 of the last 11 he's been over 20 minutes I mean what was it Uh, 29
1: minutes against the Leafs?
0: I think so. I mean, injury played a part of that because Casey Nelson went out. But I mean,
1: he he handled it. I mean, you know, the underlying numbers weren't great in that game, but obviously um, some of that was against the opponent. But the fact that I don't think he looked out of place at all should probably, you know, give a lot of confidence to Phil Halsey that he can give, put more on his plate immediately and not worry about it completely sinking him.
0: Yeah, and it was that was a case where all the D pairs were just kind of rotating, you know, everybody was everybody had somebody else at some point uh, throughout that game, but it, I mean, the last geez, I want to say the last 5 or 6, he and Ristolainen have been basically splitting having the same ice time and they weren't D partners, <laughs> which which says a lot about how, you know, Phil was rotating his his you know, his pairs out there, but you know, when you've got two guys that can chew up 25, 24, 25 minutes. And, you know, you can argue about how effective Ristolainen is and, and how well Dalene plays. I mean, I, I know everybody will have that argument at any time, but, um, But, I mean, with what Darlene's able to do with it, and, I mean, you mentioned it with how he's always looking to make a play forward. He's always looking, you know, he's not going to force a a puck into the corner by dumping it in, you know, and making it into a a long-run turnover. He's going to try to get something generated and get a play into the zone to generate a shot or generate something in the other end. And that, to me, says a lot about, how smart he is about everything and the way he thinks the game. And you can see it in the little plays that he makes where, you know, it's, it's tough to describe. It's plays where you look at it and you go, Ooh, why'd he do that? Where you're watching him and you say, Oh, that's, that's different. And then when it works and you're like, Oh, that's why he did that. And it's things like that where, you know, we, we're not accustomed to seeing that in Buffalo from defensemen, at least not in a long, long time. And Seeing him do it out here, it's just like, wow, this guy thinks the game on a very different level, and he's playing the game on a different level. And when his teammates, now it's up to his teammates to get used to him doing that. And I think the higher end players are very used to are, are adjusting to him much quicker, and even his D partners are learning. Like, okay, this guy gets it. We can we can kind of roll on him now. And instead of you know the first 10, 10 or so games, those guys were playing like big brothers to him and making sure that he wasn't getting exposed or you know if he's if he's learning on the fly he's making the decision he's not the guy you know if he makes a small, a small mistake it's not turning into a goal like they were they were covering his covering his tail and now those guys are like okay he's got it kind of figured out now we can let him roll and if he's gonna
1: make a jump well we'll still have his back but we don't have to worry so much anymore yeah no i'm sure it can be frustrating for him at times because he definitely strikes me as one of those guys that and you see it that he just kind of sees the game at a different level and thinks it and he's a couple steps ahead and i'm sure there's times where he wants to make a play but unfortunately the guy receiving the puck especially if it's a third or fourth liner might just not be able to do anything with it so he kind of has to dumb his game down a little bit to make the smarter play and and you know I, I'm, I'm i just can't wait to see how he develops and especially as phil housley empowers him with more ice time and he plays with better players like it's just I think the ceiling is endless for him and we rarely I mean in today's NHL we're seeing him more and more whether it's you know the guy like Thomas Shabbat or Miro Heiskanen and, and we're seeing uh, you know teams be less conservative with their young defensemen and, and really trust them to shoulder a heavier workload and, and play tougher minutes, but it's still at the point where, you know, when an 18-year-old comes into the league and, and he's never played in North America, obviously you kind of have to have a little bit of a feeling out process, and now it really feels like those training wheels are coming off, and it seems like he could, he could explode over the next couple of weeks um, into into something truly special, like right before our eyes, immediately, probably faster than even the most optimistic people thought he would.
0: Yeah, and I mean, he's, he's splitting number one power play unit time with Ristolainen you know depending mm-hmm. on depending on how Phil wants to use it or who he feels is going a little bit more that's the guy he'll put on that that top unit but I mean they split time pretty evenly between the two you could roll either one of them on the power play the way they're both playing offensively you know I think Ristolainen you could be a little bit you can be a little bit more aggressive with him in a power play situation but with Darlene it's he's just so good and he's always in the right spot and he's never making a, a wrong choice so it makes it so much easier to be able to to have a guy like that because they they haven't had a Quarterback, you know, a power play quarterback like that, uh, you know, she's I, I probably before even I got here, and you know, you have, might have to even go back to go, to a guy like Henrik Tillinder, which you know, it doesn't really stand out as a power play quarterback type guy, but but he was a guy, he was probably the last guy who was really able to kind of to to rein it in, maybe even Brian Campbell, yeah. Andre Sequeira, Andre Sacara. I mean, that's that's how far back you got to go to to try to figure out you know, who buffalos had in the past that could do this. So it's, it, it's a whole new world, but having Phil Housley as your head coach and Steve Smith as, as one of your other coaches on D that these are two guys that you can't ask for, for
1: better help for a young defenseman. Yeah. All right. So let's, uh, let's finish this conversation by kind of, Looking forward a bit and, and mapping this out for the Sabers, because I'm very curious to see, um, you know, how they play this and sort of how you manage expectations. Because obviously, after you have years and years of not really giving your fans anything to cheer for, and then you come out of the gate the way they have this season, you have that 10-game winning streak, and you're sitting in a playoff spot. I imagine it's very easy to kind of get carried away and maybe get a bit ahead of yourself, and and not necessarily sacrifice the future to try and win now, but maybe talk yourself into being into thinking that you're. You're, know, you're more ready or to win or you're closer to it than you actually are. And we, you and I were discussing this before we went on the air about kind of trying to keep some perspective here. And, and I always feel bad um, about, you know, throwing too much cold water on a situation like this because it's like when they're winning all these close one goal games, there's a part, an analytical part of you that wants to go probably isn't sustainable and they're eventually going to start losing some of these and sure enough we've seen them drop what four or five in a row now in that variety but at the same time just where they're coming from and sort of this exciting ride they're on you also kind of want to just enjoy that for what it is so I don't know like they obviously have the three first-round picks coming up this this summer, or at least they should, assuming that the conditions work out for them. And it looks like, you know, if the Sharks make the playoffs, they'll get that one there. And if the Blues write the ship a little bit and wind up not picking the top 10, that'll all of a sudden give them three very interesting assets there. And they've got this big decision with Jeff Skinner ahead, whether you just pay him right now or whether you play this thing out or what have you so i like just looking ahead let's assume that this kind of continues and maybe they don't keep winning 10 games in a row but they win enough games to at least stay in the playoff hunt do you think this is a team that could potentially talk itself into doing something and expediting this process or do you think that they're going to be level-headed enough to kind of play this thing out and and sort of appreciate what's going on right now while also keeping an eye to the future i i think the the i think everything's really wide open to what Jason Bottrell and,
0: and they can do if they're in a spot where they become buyers uh, come trade deadline I think that's that's a great spot for them to be in I, the, you know the Skinner situation is interesting because the only way that they screw that up is if they if is if he walks and they don't get anything for him. That's the only way it goes wrong. I mean, if I think if they if they extend him and you know they don't break the bank on him, and then yeah. you know if the, if the cap goes to eighty three and a half million next year, and I, I it would be very hard for them to screw up their future cap given all the the big money that's going to be coming off next year and the year after. Um, So I think I I don't think they're in a bad spot as far as future caps concerned, But you can't give Jeff Skinner like nine and a half million. You can't, you know, when you're when you're staring Rasmus Dahlien down in two years and you're going to give him eight years and I don't know, 88, you know, 88 million, 88 plus million, maybe. I mean, you can't you can't just, you know, cough it all up there. But um, but I mean, they can extend them and they're fine. But if they have to trade him at the trade deadline, if they're not going to get a deal, then if he produces this way, you're talking about getting a pretty strong return, and not just futures. I mean, you're, you're probably going to get somebody who might be under contract back. But uh, I mean, that's you know, it's it, it's a big it's a big what if. But right. I think that's that situation can get handled pretty easy.
1: Yes. Well, I mean, yes and no. I think it's a tricky one because I imagine when they acquired him, you know, I'm sure they thought he's going to fit in next to Jack, Jack Eichel and he's going to give him that supporting player and they're going to feed off of each other and we'll see where it goes. And considering the price they paid, it was a no doubt about it decision where you do that 10 out of 10 mm-hmm. times. Um, but i also think that probably in the back of my mind they thought well you know if we become sellers of the deadline and hopefully he stays healthy and scores some goals we'll be able to get more for him in return a trade than what we paid for him and then now i mean you obviously is a great problem to have when you have a guy scoring 20 goals in his first 25 or 26 games or whatever he did but you also don't want to be buying at his absolute ceiling where you know the guy's shooting 22.7 percent, and that's obviously mm-hmm. not going to continue and you're right if you All of a sudden, are paying him to be that guy, you're going to be sorely disappointed, especially on a long term deal. Now, it feels like he's been in the league forever, and he has because he came into it right away, but he's still only 26 years old. I believe he turns 27 this summer. Now, he does have uh, a long list of head injuries, and he's, you know, knock on wood, been healthy recently, but that's always something you got to keep in the back of your mind. So, there's a lot of factors to consider there, and I'm very curious. Obviously, you know, if they fall out of the race, that'll make the decision easier. If something else happens, maybe that'll kind of open the door to something. But right, right now, where we stand, there isn't a super obvious uh, decision to go one way or another because there's so many different factors to consider.
0: No, it, it, it's 100 percent true. I, but I, when it comes to the, his injury past, it reminds me a little bit of Patrice Bergeron, where, you know, right. I, I, the first half, first part of his career. He had the concussion issues and everybody worried if, you know, if he's going to have a big future and, you know, that, that proved to be very true. He had, he's had a great, he's had a great career It's still it's in front of him. But, um, but, you know, with, if they do become buyers though, uh, they've got enough prospects who still have shine to them. You know, I don't think, I don't think the blooms come off the rose of, of too many of these guys yet. It's a, it's a farm system that's, that's pretty well, a prospect system that's that's viewed pretty highly and if they've got to go buy somebody to 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 make their defense a little bit better or to add a little bit more scoring I think they can do it and they would you know might 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 hurt the future as far as you know maybe you're giving up a guy who might be a player in a year or two but I with the way they've developed the guys in Rochester, they they might not have to do that if you know if Victor Olafson can still score like the way he is in Rochester, and you bring him up and give him a taste, and he does well in Buffalo, then all right, well you don't have to go get a guy. Or if you know if Alex nylander has got his stuff figured out, and you know it can be a consistent player, it's, which that's the big problem for him is consistency. But
1: yeah.
0: um, but if he's a guy who can come up and be consistent, then. In, instantly, you've got a guy that helps you out, and you know it's things like that where they're going to know where they stand by the time deadline time comes around. If those prospect guys are ready and they can call them up and they can be reliable, stick with it in house. And if you got a if you have to supplant it from behind with trading one of those guys, then okay, that then you can do that. But they're in a good position, I think. Jason botrell has got them in a spot where they don't have to be rash about anything. They can either figure it
1: out from within or they can use some of that strength from within to, to get better. Yeah, no, that's the thing. And, and it's ultimately, I mean, it's relative. I feel like if everything else from this point is gravy, I mean, obviously, I guess if they lose every single one of their remaining games, maybe uh, it'll leave a sour taste in people's mouths. But I mean, when I when I point out stuff like, you know, they've been playing over their heads. There's very few teams that have a bigger gap between their expected goals and actual goals and stuff like that. It's like, you know, I just you just want to uh, pump the brakes a little bit in terms of, a 10 game winning streak can do a lot to delude people and make them think that a team is much better than it is and that was a magical run they had there and, and it was really entertaining to watch but that shouldn't make you kind of lose sight of the bigger picture and, and you're right thankfully for them and for Jason Botterell there's enough time here still remaining between uh, when we're talking now in, in early December and the trade deadline coming up in, in what like late February early March so we're going to see what this team really is with a larger sample size and I'm sure that'll make your decision easier for them but it's both a blessing and a curse from the perspective of, really, if you look at their financial situation, you know they're obviously going to have a guy like Rasmus Dahlin that you have to account for how much you're going to pay him down the line, and Jack Eichel's contract's already kicked in. But for the most part, there's very few dollars that are really um, committed past the next couple seasons, and even a guy like Kyle Pozo, for example, you think that he could be a candidate to be bought out with a compliance buyout if that comes up in the next CBA, so... There's very few bad contracts on the on the books now for the longer term, which is great because that's going to give them plenty of flexibility to you know, get creative and try to bring in impact players, whether it's in free agency or via trade. And, and that's an exciting proposition. But at the same time, kind of like what we saw with Vegas, it's like as soon as you have that money, that's great. But as soon as you make one or two bad decisions, all of a sudden that ties it up and you're back to square one. So it can be a kind of double edged sword there.
0: Yeah, and that's that's probably why you had, you didn't see Buffalo go after go after guys like uh, Paul Stastny or or make a trade for a Max Pacioretty where you know it, well Pacioretty it, or make a trade for him and then extend him yeah that's right. yeah and then um you know you where you you just throw all this money on top of your on top of your future and you're just you, you just look at it and you're just like oh man this is this is gonna hurt in the long run but I mean beyond Apozo and I mean you don't feel bad about Eichel's money but. You know, uh, I think with the Pozo's contract, you worry about his health and, and you know, just the, the natural part of aging. But, you know, beyond that, it's what Ristolainen's the next longest contract, and that
1: ends in 2022, 20, 21. Does it run uh, longer than the cap hit they're paying for Cody, Cody Uh
0: Good question. I haven't <laughs> checked on that one.
1: They <laughs> at least get the cap refund on him this year. That's right? true. I think that's I think they got money back this Man, year. Man, their though. books are hilarious. I mean, obviously, because yeah. the compliance buyouts, they're not actually um, – you know stuck with that tab but they are paying out the real dollars but yeah it's it's i looked at it it was nine more years of christian Ehrhoff and they still have one more of villi leno at uh the gift that keeps on giving at 1.22 million next year yeah. so i
0: gotta i gotta try to find from one of the thrift shops around here to find a villi leno t-shirt i should i should find one and send it to you because i think that would be
1: i would love that I think,
0: I think that would be hilarious but but he's making paintings now to to show how much he hated being in buffalo so i think that's <laughs> i think that's good for Billy that he's found an outlet
1: well, when you're as financially secure as he is, you can explore any avenue to uh, to fill your time. Um, Joe, let's uh, let's get out of here. Um, I think we kind of covered all the bases on the Sabres. Did we Did we miss out on any big topics?
0: I don't think so. We got Darlene, we got Skinner, we got
1: how good Eichel is. Yeah. We could talk goaltending, but eh, like, it's oh, fine. i mentioned it. I mean, it's been really good so far. We'll see how they hold up because they're kind of eventually going to be in uncharted waters just in terms of usage. And that's a bit of a scary proposition, but so far so good and it makes for a great story. And um, at the very least, I feel like it'll be passable enough where unlike with some of these other teams like i don't think we're going to point to it and be like oh what a complete liability that's completely sinking this team
0: (laughs) yeah i don't think that's i don't think that's going to be the case here they they seem to really like carter hutton and lead us all marks of really lovable guy who's playing very well so it's it's hard to dislike them
1: yeah um okay plug some stuff where can uh where can people find your work and what can they expect from you moving forward Oh, you
0: can find me over at the Athletic. I'm, you know, the Buffalo Sabers beat writer there with uh, with John Vogel, and we've got Chris Baker doing prospects, and we're we're trying to crush it as hard as possible. I think we're I think we're taking care of that. But uh, and Ryan and Ryan Stimson and I Ryan, Stimson. Podcast, my goodness, yes. my brain is not. Don't working forget today. Ryan. Ryan, who very smartly pointed out how good Lawrence Pilot – there was a guy we didn't talk about was Lawrence Pilot, yeah. uh, about how good he was matching up against Austin Matthews. And he's, he might be one of those secret weapon guys, but, but Ryan Stimson is killing it for us. He's making the people of Buffalo much smarter mm-hmm. about, about hockey, which is a good thing. We, we like that. We, yeah. we, don't want, we don't want to be talking about guys fighting everybody anymore. So that's, Absolutely we're past that but but ryan's killing it chris baker's killing it john Bo was killing it i'm sort of killing it you're killing it as well man thanks dude i i was setting you up for a compliment thank you for following through
1: you're doing great you did <laughs> great on today's episode i'm glad i had you on and uh hopefully this team gives us something to talk about from a positive perspective moving forward as well and and maybe uh you know we'll check back in with you sometime closer to the deadline and maybe we'll have some more definitive answers to some of the questions we laid out on today's show
0: yeah, let's, let's hope the, uh, the darkest, this is the dawn after the darkest times
1: from two years ago when we talked Sabres last. That's true. All right, man. Um, enjoy yourself and we'll chat soon. You got it, Dimitri. Thanks Cheers. for having me. I can't end today's show without a stick tap in the direction of Puckpedia, which aside from being a gracious sponsor of the Hockeypedia cast has also helped make today's episode possible. It may have only recently launched, but Puckpedia.com's has already become an invaluable resource for me whenever I'm doing my show prep for this podcast whether it's salary cap info draft and transaction history individual player stats or injury news buckpedia is great because it's got everything you need to know in one convenient place so that you don't need to bounce around from tab to tab and clog your internet browser trying to figure out what you're looking for plus they really put an emphasis on making the entire thing user friendly so it's easy to navigate even for someone like me who's not necessarily all that tech savvy my personal favorite component of the site is their agent leaderboard which identifies the top agents and who they represent when I was looking ahead to Patrick Liney's upcoming contract and my discussion with Murat here on today's show about it, um, I searched it up and I was reminded that he's got the same agent as the guy who got Vlad Tarasenko and Leon Dreisaitl paid coming off their ELCs and the same guy who also represents Miko Rantanen, so uh, just something to keep in mind and uh, not too shabby. Um, anyways, go to puckpedia.com and play around with all their cool features yourself and follow them at puckpedia on Twitter since they're constantly tweeting out useful nuggets of info. Um, also a couple other things before we get out of here. You can, uh, go check out the show now on Spotify. Uh, it's been up there for about a month or so. And I've noticed that a bunch of you have uh gravitated over there and are using that to listen to the show now. And I appreciate that. But once again, whatever, uh, whatever makes you comfortable or whatever is your uh, go-to source, whether it's iTunes or Google play or, or what have you, or Spotify, um, as long as you're listening to the show, that's all that matters. And also, um, if you could take a minute and go over to iTunes and leave the show uh, a positive rating interview, that's always appreciated. I'm not totally sure how their algorithm works and how their uh, rating system works on the, uh, on the leaderboards for the podcast, but I've been told that that stuff goes a long way towards boosting the PDO cast up the charts. So hopefully you'll take the time to do that and um with that said now we're finally ready to get out of here so we're going to play the outro music and we will be back later this week with one maybe two shows so until then the hockey pdo cast with Dmitry filipovich follow on twitter at dim filipovich and on soundcloud at soundcloud.com slash